Hi, this is Jean-Luc Ponty and you are listening to Jazz is Not What You Think. Hello, Jean-Luc. Good to see you. Nice to see you too. Oh, great to have you on the show. I've been a fan for a long time. Uh, I know at this point, I, you, you, I know I lost count. I don't know if you lost count. You're at maybe over 50 albums. I think I have uh, 12 of them on vinyl and maybe 40 of them on CD. Uh, but it's been a, a wonderful career that I've been blessed to be a fan of and to see all the wonderful things you've done over the years and so many different things. And I wanted to start out by saying that you actually made me listen to the violin. And, and what I mean by that is, as someone who got into jazz transitioning from progressive rock as a fan, um, I didn't really care much for violin. Um, it's not that I don't love classical music and violin playing, but sort of the, the characters and the brilliant musicians that I knew that played violin, that you played with also, whether it's Stuff Smith, Stefan Grappelli, Sven Asmussen, um, the violin never spoke to me until I listened to you. Well, and I want to ask you, what was it, even with your traditional upbringings in jazz, that gave you that voice? That I think that the reason it spoke to me is you had a voice. When we listened to your music, it, it spoke to us. Yes, well, because uh, my passion has never been violin. It was music, first of all. And violin was just a tool. And since I got attracted by modern jazz, uh, I adapted the violin to that phrasing, that sound. And uh, it was quite a fight to, to be able to, indeed, to, uh, to be admitted as a violinist among the community of uh, modern jazz musicians, but I did, and uh, and because they felt that I, that's what I did. Because the violin, you're right, is mostly associated to a very romantic and uh, uh, mostly European music, classical and folk, and so forth. But also, I started playing jazz on clarinet, on a wind instrument. I was studying violin very seriously, classical violin, to become a professional. But my goal was really to become a conductor, orchestra conductor and composer. That was really more than being a, a violinist. So, but then I discovered jazz and jazz uh, gave me that, uh, in fact, that opportunity to to create, to, to write music and play at the same time. So perhaps because I started on clarinet, uh, which was my third instrument, uh, and uh, switched to tenor sax when I heard modern jazz. Uh, you know, I was listening to Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane. And, uh, and then one day by accident, I didn't have my sax, no clarinet, and only my violin. I was coming out of a classical gig, and I jammed on violin, and it was a revelation. I realized I could play jazz also on violin. And at the time, I, had, I was not aware of any jazz violinist. Um, I discovered that after 
and that encouraged me to to pursue and use that instrument in jazz, but my way. Uh, and already I was coming from a wind instrument, adapting the jazz phrasing to the violin. And since there was no modern jazz violinist as an example I could follow at the time, uh, my influences were uh, trumpet players like uh, Clifford Brown, big time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chet Baker eventually, Miles, and uh, and piano players as well, Bill Evans, uh, uh, Oscar Peterson, and all this phrasing I was absorbing, you know, listening to jazz from uh, when I discovered that music and I was uh, 18 years old, I think. I would put an album uh, as soon as I would drink coffee in the morning and uh, mm -hmm. And the whole day and jam with the, the album. There was no jazz schools in those days, and then go to a club to uh, to jam in the evening, and that's how I developed uh, I developed my my sound, you know. And 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 from from saxophone, clarinet, classical, you then became one of a handful of jazz rock icons. I mean, it, whether it's Jean McLaughlin or, or Billy Cobham or, you know, all these other wonderful artists that you've performed with um, on an unlikely instrument, the violin. Yes. Well, my life has been full of surprises, unexpected encounters. And, uh, uh, you know, especially imagine when I started playing jazz in the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, the medias were far from what it is today. So to discover another style of music, you really had to move somewhere on the planet, you know. Uh, and, uh, well, I got my first contract with an American jazz label in 1968. I signed with uh, World Pacific Jazz in Los Angeles after I had performed for the first time in the U.S. at the Monterey Jazz Festival. And so in 1969, I went to Los Angeles to spend most of the year to record album for uh, Richard Bach, the founder and, and uh, president of that label. And after I recorded a few albums and after he heard me play live in clubs with George Duke, he got the idea of uh, having me do a different type of project with uh, with the rock in the rock world, and he had heard uh, through the grapevine that uh, Frank Zappa, who was living in Los Angeles as well, uh, was uh, interested to do either a jazz album or a collaboration with jazz musicians. So uh, he asked me uh, if that was okay, and uh, I said, "Well, I I don't know." what can come out musically, but yes, Zappa is a very creative and, uh, you know, uh, progressive, uh, creative uh, composer, so why not? So he took the phone and we got a meeting and, and Zappa accepted when he heard me, my playing, and that's how it started. I discovered progressive rock uh, that year. Uh, mm -hmm. In the studio, because uh, two weeks after the meeting, Zappa was ready with the music 
and we were in the studio recording the album King Kong. Wow. And uh, so that was my first experience with, uh, of course, he had arranged his music in a more jazzy way, instrumental, but still there were the, uh, these different elements uh, of, of rhythms that were new to me. And after recording that album for a year, you know, it, um, I digested all, all this music and it, it opened my mind to, and in, incited me to expand and, uh, and uh, not stick to American jazz from the 50s and 60s, especially that also uh, I was uh, very much interested to use the new tools of my time. In those days, there were new electric instruments being invented. I had to amplify the violin because I wanted to play with with a uh, you know with a drummer and and a rhythm section full of energy, uh, like in a rock band. And uh, the violin uh, couldn't be heard unless I would amplify it. And that's what attracted some rock musicians when they heard I was using an electric instrument and that coming up with that electric sound. Um, I got in, invited to collaborate with, with a few. It started in Europe with the soft guys from Soft Machine, Robert Wyatt. And uh, so with Zappa, he, uh, when, when he um, invited me to join his group and toured with them, with his band in 1973, which is when I moved to Los Angeles, because it was full time with touring and recording with him, that really um, incited me to look into my own background, uh, which was classical music, and uh, to draw from uh, uh, the structures. Therefore, not that simple three-minute song with simple chords, but to do long structures like similar to symphonies and uh, and concertos, like Zappa was doing and like John McLaughlin was doing as well. Uh, their example, uh, they were so open, you know, so unrestricted. They, they were not worried to break any walls. And so there was still that jazz element in the music, improvisation, basically. But with uh, the instruments, the sounds, the devices, the tools that were coming out in those days and that were brand new. So I found it exciting and that's why I didn't hesitate to go into that. Well, that's great. So, so we're all fascinated with Frank Zappa. Uh, it, it, it's, Frank Zappa is kind of an enigma because we, we think we know a lot about Zappa, but he was a very complicated personally and professionally. And because of that, um, you, you have to have a, a good Frank Zappa story. Well, I don't know. I, it's so long ago, you know, I have mm -hmm. to, a lot of people, you know, uh, tell me I should stop writing my memoirs. Maybe I should before I, I lose my memory. But, um, well, he was not a jazz musician himself. I think my, my feeling is that if he had been born in Europe, I think he would have studied the classical composition and become a composer, modern composer, but in the European classical uh, uh, style. 
And uh, but being born in California, there was no traditions, no walls, and uh, that's why it makes me think of Ornette Coleman as well. Mm -hmm. I think he was Los So Zappa was not a jazz musician himself, but he was very um, interested. Uh, he, he loved the Theronis Monk. I remember spending some time with him at his home, uh, drinking coffee and listening to some albums, and I was talking to him. He had not heard of Keith Jarrett. I, I met him aware of Keith Jarrett, for instance. But he was very open to jazz and admirative of people who could improvise, like me and George do. But he's... Uh, his genius was uh, his, in his compositions. You know, I mean, sometimes I say, where, where did he go find his ideas? <laughs> it was really out there and uh, very daring. I think he was the very first one or one of the very first to, to fuse, to, to make a synthesis of different styles of music, of fusion music. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, and the um, yeah Zappa certainly. You know, it's it's interesting how people who like interesting music, jazz, uh, gravitate to Zappa. Um, interesting how your music incorporates that. And one of the things that I always loved about your albums when I was introduced to your music in the '70s is that you can listen to a Jean-Luc Pani record and it takes you somewhere. And that's what I wasn't, wasn't hearing. I was hearing that in progressive rock when I listened to Yes, and I really enjoyed that. And now I had someone in jazz who took me on that journey. Well, that's what I found when I myself discovered Yes and Genesis. Um, I already had started writing music, as I explained earlier, drawing from my classical background. And I found out that I met some of these musicians from progressive rock bands, uh, British and American. And, and that's the common element we had, which was uh, uh, the experience of classical music without being neoclassical, but the idea of expanding structures, uh, the difference is that me coming from jazz, there was more still improvisation, it was more instrumental. But there was that link with the progressive rock bands, and that's why, in fact, uh, we, I did a project with uh, John Anderson, you know, we had met in the 80s already, and he had mentioned it. And so we, you know, we went apart and had our own lives, and finally we did it, and uh, I realized that, yes, but I'm, I'm happy you, you tell me that because uh, it's important. I mean, it's not something that is conscious and that I did uh, uh, voluntarily, but it's something in me that uh, I, 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 I let my inspiration come through whenever I was creating music. And uh, I love to, when my mind is traveling, and I guess my music... Uh, it produces that, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad it does that effect on, on you as well because um, that's what I prefer in, uh, in music in general. Is that uh, it? It takes you into into another world. And there was a 
<clears throat> reference I read somewhere where Louis Schwartzberg, the, the filmmaker, um, <clears throat> obviously heard that as well because his cinematography takes you on a journey through living things. And, and I guess he heard that in your music to marry the two together. How did that happen? He called me um, uh, saying he was a fan and he was doing a short movie for uh, a competition, I think. Um, anyway, and so I went, I went to see uh, what he had put together and I was stunned when I saw, uh, he, yeah, he was extremely uh, creative and uh, ahead of his time uh, with that time-lapse filming, you know, and, and, but what he conveyed through that. And so he had uh, used a piece, uh, one of my songs, and I didn't think it was the best. And I, I suggested he use the individual choice instead that was uh, very uh, robotic with um, synthesizers and which I felt would fit better with these uh, images. And uh, it, so we worked together, you know, um, I was there to, uh, to tell him, yes, that's good, no, do that and this and that. I, I know nothing to ph photography nor filming, but at least we, co we collaborated on that. And, and it came out, yeah, it was a great, uh, well, he didn't have any money, so he said, look, I do that because I need music for my documentary, but, um, you know, you can use it for promotion for your current album. So it was incredible to have such a, such a video to use to promote my album Individual Choice because uh, I was not in it. That was the original. It's like, like music videos, it was portraying the artist, but not, you know, I was not in there, but it, it was so, I don't know, there was such a strong message in it that it was a huge success worldwide. And it was the very beginning of um, music videos. And uh, so, yes, again, that's another chance I had in my life, like many others. One of the other ones that I always appreciated <clears throat> being a huge fan of <clears throat> Return to Forever. Oh. Um, uh, Romantic Warrior was the album that really introduced me to and opened a door to a whole different world of music. Um, I remember uh, Chick invited me to his Mad Hatter Studios once, that, and I'm sure you've been there many times. Yes. And I walk in and there's this gigantic mural of the album cover of Romantic Warrior when you walk in which I almost fainted when I saw because that was the album that did it for me. But you've worked with Chick and, and Stanley and Lenny and Al Demiola over the years in, in various projects. There seems to be a relationship and affinity to Return to Forever, even though from what I remember, you never actually performed in Return to Forever. Oh, yes, I did. Uh, oh, you did? Yeah, in, in 2011, I, they invited me to join their uh, reunion tour. Mm. It was a long world tour from Asia to Europe through the States. So that was a great um, one of one one of the highlights. And I have quite a few, but that was one of them for sure. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I met Chick very uh, early on in my career, um, and. Uh, 
we met again, well, when I was with the Mahavishnu Orchestra, we were rehearsing in New York and uh, he was living in New York and was coming to rehearsals and we became friends. And him and Stanley, uh, I had played with Stanley before, uh, invited me to join Return to Forever when I left Mahavishnu in 1975. Mm. And that was a tough decision because I loved their band, of course. I loved this musician. I thought it was really uh, top of, of, you know, bands in the world. And uh, But I just started my own band and I was just releasing my third album, Imaginary Voyage. And so it was a tough decision. And finally I decided to keep trying uh, with my own band uh, because I thought, you know, I have this album now, I'm young, this is now or never. Mm -hmm. And uh, sure. well, it was even Cheek after that told me I had taken the right decision because Imaginary Voyage was a big success. Huge. And that's what that's started my, uh, uh, you know, attracted attention to, to my own band, my own sound. But um, then in 2011, you know, we were in touch again with Stanley and, and Cheek. And, uh, and when they called me and invited me to join the, the tour, I, I did, then I didn't hesitate. A didn't hesitate. <laughs> and that was with Al Demiola as well, wasn't it? No, it was he Frank Abali. Oh, Frank Abali, sure. Abali. Who was in the Chicks Electric Band. Yes. And Lenny on drums. And uh, it was, I mean, I miss Chick. What, it's so sad. He passed so sad. away. Um, and it was a, such an experience for me to be on stage. Uh, excuse me. It was such an experience for me. I started it. It was such an experience for me to be on stage with with Chick and, and Return to Forever because I had attended some of their concerts. But to be on stage, right between Chick and Stanley, and to hear Chick uh, soloing, they were so tight with Stanley and Lenny. Like uh, it was ESP. It was unbelievable. And Chick was so adventurous. Um, and it was like, uh, you know, uh, flying in the sky and then coming back down right in the right spot. I was very impressed. So it was a great experience. He was, and a wonderful human being. Uh, Chick was, in fact, um, as an aside, uh, the producer of this show, um, when he was in a stroller, my son, uh, Chick walked him around in his stroller. We were out one day. And he pushed my son Jeffrey in the stroller, and we talked about music. He was just just a wonderful human being yeah. and a, a brilliant beyond compare musician. Right. Well, what was impressive is that uh, I was, um, yeah, it, it was great that when we put the band together and we rehearsed, Sheik was very humble, and. Uh, Whoever was the composer of the piece we played was the leader. And it was changing, you know, if I played my piece, I would be the leader. And Chick would be like a, like a background musician, you know. Right. Really at, at, at the service of, 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 
the composer and, and his piece. That's what uh, was great for such a, a genius, you know. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, I talked with uh, John Anderson, uh, I think maybe two years ago, and we talked about your contributing to his one of his recent records, and I could tell he was a fan of yours, um, as are a lot of artists. In fact, um, back in the earlier days of uh, Elton John. I, you connected with him, and I, if I recall, you were featured on on one of the one of his songs. Even two songs. It was the album Honky Chateau, which was recorded in a castle, which in French uh, is Chateau. So, chateau. and uh, outside of Paris, and uh, I was not really aware. That was before I moved to America, maybe a year before or two years before. And I was not aware of uh, pop music in general. I was really, I had turned from a, a classical uh, uh, purist to a jazz purist. <laughs> anyway, uh, some friends told me Elton John is very talented, he's a great pop singer. So I accepted and I went to the studio and it was a great experience because I, I was like part of the band. He would create the, uh, a song per day and uh, start singing and playing piano. And then each, each guy in the band, including me as a guest, we would come up with our ideas, the talk, you know, accompanying his song and, uh, and that was it. And we recorded and it was very open. Uh, I found it also very open and humble. And so I recorded on two songs and in fact, he wanted me to, after hearing me, he wanted me to do the whole album. But the producer said, no, it's going to be more special if he only plays on two songs. <laughs> Less is more, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, um, so there's a, obviously you're a fan of Miles Davis. Um, any interaction performing with Miles over the years? No. Uh, it's funny because at some point uh, Wayne Shorter told me, I think Miles is going to call you. But um, he heard me play for the first time at the Monterey Jazz Festival when I played there in 67, I think, or 68. And that's the time he didn't have uh, his voice anymore. You know? And so I crossed paths with him backstage and he was just uh, mimicking playing behind me. And then <laughs> Big compliment. So coming from Miles, that was uh, awesome for me. And then in Paris again, uh, I went to attend one of his concerts, and same thing. He saw me and he came to me, and uh, and uh, Keith Jarrett was playing in town in a club. He was living in Paris for a couple of years at the time. I had jammed with Keith, and so uh, knowing that Keith had played with Jack D. Janet, uh who was a drummer in Miles' band, I, I told uh, Jack that I was going to bring him with my car. We were going to that club where Peace was playing. And Miles asked me, where are you going? So I said, I'm going to I'll take them to this club to hear a pianist. Oh, I want to go. So I took Miles to that club. And after hearing Keith Jarrett, I said, wow. And he hired him the next day. <laughs> well, thank you for that. It worked out well. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your daughter, who, when I first 
listened to her very first album, um, I said, and not knowing anything about her, I said, this has to be Jean-Luc Ponty's daughter. I mean, the, the talent. And okay. I, I, I wasn't, it wasn't pitched to me as, oh, by the way, Clara is Jean-Luc Ponty's daughter. I was like, listen to this new record. And I, and I, I, was, I loved it. And, and so how's Clara doing these days? What's she up to? Well, it's, you know, tough times with the pandemic and all that, but she's still creative. And uh, uh, she had been invited to play in a festival in Germany in the city where Handel, the composer, Handel was born. And uh, they, besides the classical musician, they asked some modern style, maybe jazz or other styles of musicians to, uh, to arrange Handel's music and play in their own style, which she did. And, and uh, uh, it was very successful for her to do that. And now, so she's preparing an album with uh, variations she created on Handel. So she keeps going. She keeps going. Great. Well, tell her I'm a fan too, and I, I look forward to hearing her next record. And in closing, what, what's, what's in store for you? What, what next? Well, mm, retirement, maybe. Now, I semi, don't think you're going to retire. <laughs> Semi-retirement. I want to right, slow down. So. I'm tired of traveling. And it's a bit too much for me. So I want, it's time to enjoy life. Uh, I'll be 20 years old again for the fourth time. Uh, <laughs> I get it. In a few days. So, uh, of course, music is still a passion. And it's, it's always what feels the best to me is to be on stage, to share my music with an audience. But uh, slowing down. I just released a, a, an album uh, as a duet with violin and piano, which I had never done before. And it was a German pianist, Wolfgang Dahlen, who uh, I met in the 60s and I worked a lot in Germany with him. And I love this. To me, it was kind of a modern B-Levens, uh, beautiful chords, harmonies, could be avant-garde to daring. But uh, we uh, lost uh, track, of course, to moved to, to the U.S. for so many years. But uh, we hooked up again in uh, the 90s and... And we did some shows, and uh, so there is a live album that just came out. He passed away a year ago, so it's a nice tribute to him as well. And I, I'm I'm very happy that this album is out. It's so live. Have to the, check it out. Yeah, live at the Bern Jazz Festival in Switzerland. And uh, who knows? Out. You know, I mean, I keep composing, but uh, maybe I'll record something new some someday. But no hurry. Well, I hope so. Well, you have a, a wonderful discography. Uh, there's a lot of music there for people to check out. And uh, again, I appreciate your meeting you again 40 years later. And I uh, hope we can do this again sometime. In 40 years. <laughs> In 40 years. We'll see Maybe. you then. All right. It was great right. to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.